This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. Let's make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Sailing frequencies open, sir. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Jordan Hoffman, and this is episode number... Brian, what episode number is this? You just uh, rolled your eyes at me when I asked you what... Is it 53 or 54? I guess it really doesn't matter. <laughs> 53, 54, episode number 50-something of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. 54. Hey. I was right. All right. Episode 54. Uh, we've got a great episode this week. Uh, we have um, a, a, a social media star and writer for uh, uh, for the New York Times and a and, uh, person who was uh, very much in the news last year uh, during the um, presidential campaign. Sopan Deb is a uh, writer about politics and culture and sort of the zeitgeist. And he is a huge Star Trek fan. I follow the guy on Twitter, as does, you know, 200,000 of my closest friends. And, um, you know, he is always making little Star Trek references. And um, it was literally, I was on the subway a couple days ago. And I'm like, you know what? Enough's enough. I got to contact this guy. I'm like, dude, you know a lot about Star Trek. Come on the Star Trek podcast. And he's like, I'm thrilled. I would love to do it. I'm like, how's next week? He goes, absolutely. So... That's why he's coming on today. So that's pretty cool. He'll be on in a little bit. And we, we're going to talk specifically about um, TNG. And we're going to talk specifically about um, uh, small characters, one shots, uh, guests, special guests. And, you know, there have been a lot of great special guests, uh, characters that you wish, kind of wish you saw more of but didn't. But, uh, you know, that's that's the way it goes sometimes. So we're going to talk about our, our top three each. We're going to do bronze, silver, gold. Of each. In other news, we're now officially into July. Red alert, I say. Red alert because um, we're not that far away from Discovery. is coming our way in September. If you follow on social media some of the Discovery production people, they love to take pictures that don't show anything, but they love to take little pictures of themselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, little animated gifts of, of how they're feeling about the production. Everybody's very happy. So that's cool. Um, and the other big news is we're not that far away from uh, the Star Trek convention. If you were listening to my voice and you were on the fence about going to the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, I would advise you to go. 
Um, I know it ain't cheap, especially if you don't live in Las Vegas or you don't live where you can drive. But if you have the dough and you have the time and you've always wanted to go to a Star Trek convention, this would be the one to go to. For starters, you're going to see a lot of me there. Maybe that's a reason not to go. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's a reason to turn around and get the hell out of there. But um, I, I don't want to give too much away about what's going to be happening at this convention, uh, which is in August, very early August. The convention is starts on August the 2nd, which is a Wednesday, all the way through August 6th, which is a Sunday. And I'll be there every day. Um, as I always have been for the last few years, but this year I am going to be, um, whereas I used to host one or two panels a day, now I'm, they, they got me working morning, noon, and night, which is fine with me, but I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff, and we are going to be recording a lot of it also, so the, the choice material will make it to your ears of the material that I'm hosting, not of the other stuff. I can only record myself, um, and we're going to be interviewing a lot of cool stuff. The, the, the se- That's not really a secret, but there's going to... There's always the last few years it's been a main stage and then a secondary stage and I will be hosting some panels on the secondary stage and even a few on the main stage but there is a, a third stage now it started last year at, at what the recreation of Quark's bar which this is at the Rio the Rio Hotel in in Las Vegas in the convention center there which is huge they did uh, they took one of the the banquet rooms and they have a bar there and you can get snacks and they got some tables the lighting is cool they got a lot of great props they even have like some games you can play like triple toss oh wow and um, <laughs> they put up a little stage there for like additional stuff and um, it they started last year and it went well so now it's there's gonna be more additional stuff there so um, slightly more intimate conversations then is on the main stage. I mean, the main stage is huge. Thousands and thousands of people fit in the main stage. So it's called the Roddenberry stage. And then the second stage... Oh, well, actually, I think now they're called the Nemo... I think they're called the Roddenberry slash Nemoy stage now. And the secondary stage, I think, is still called the DeForest Kelly stage. Um, it doesn't matter. So a bigger room, smaller room. And even the second room is still pretty big. So the third room is a little more intimate and uh, shorter conversations with people that run the gamut from cast members to, uh, to other fans... Uh, we're doing a lot of games and stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm going to be there for a lot of the time, hosting a lot of things. Which, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully is a draw. I like to hope it's a draw. I will record an episode of this podcast too. You know who our guest is going to be? I, I don't. Somebody with the initials T, B, and D. <laughs> <laughs> TV. For a second, I'm thinking, like, yeah. okay, T? Yeah. Oh, damn it. No, TBD will be. But, you know, TBD has always done us well in the past. When we did the cruise, my guest for the podcast was TBD, and that ended up being uh, Terry Farrell, Denise Crosby, and Joe Piscopo. That's which right. Which is a real, a real, didn't see that one coming. That just sort of happened. That did, wasn't. That literally was not planned. That was a whisper in my ear. Hey, Joe Piscopo's here too. You want him to talk? Sure. I, st- I still find that so strange. <laughs> it worked out. Well, what was great about that? Oh man, uh, was I don't know if I even, if I said this at the time. Um, Terry was the one I asked first, just because I, I I've known Terry for a while and she's wonderful and she'd never been on the show. I'm like Terry, you're on the cruise. I'm on the cruise. Will you come on the podcast if the timing works? She goes sure. And then I checked in with her again. She's like, oh, I'm going to drag Denise, too. We're going to be together. And she and I'd already met Denise. I'm like, oh, great, wonderful. So I knew they were coming. And then they sit down and they're talking. And then I get the whisper, Joe Piscopo's here. He wants to talk, too. I'm like, oh, fabulous. Because it was in front of an audience. I mean, it wasn't a huge audience, but there were people there. So he comes on the stage. He sits down. He says hello. 
His phone rings. He gets up and leaves. <laughs> so he says hello, and then he splits for 10, 15 minutes. But then he did come back. So anyway. I believe he sang. Yeah, he did. So I don't know what's going to happen at the convention, but that's going to be that. So do do consider coming. If you've never come to a Star Trek convention, the Vegas convention's where it's at. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I don't want to say specifically what, because I don't know the full brunt of it myself, but needless to say, it's happening in August and, um, you know, that's only a good six weeks away, six and a half weeks away from the debut of um, Discovery. There will be Discovery stuff, you know, not, you know, they're not going to show the whole episode or anything. They're, they may not even show more. There's going to be stuff. I don't even know if there's going to be video stuff. I just know there's going to be stuff. There will be some involvement. You know, there's still going to be shooting. So, I, I you know, I, I don't know who. Uh, but I have a high, you know, uh, suspicion that uh, you know there's going to be some involvement from Discovery. You're going to know more about Discovery after the convention that he did before. Let's put it that Hopefully. way. Hopefully, yeah, that's that that much is a given. But what I don't know. Um, and then the whole gang, you know, a hundred guests. Mae Jemison is going to be there. A NASA astronaut is going to be there. And that's she's she's uh, someone they've been trying to get for a while. So that's the cool news. What else is cool, Brian? Before we get our guest Sopan Deb on is uh, having um, a solid-state hard drive. Of course it is. (laughs) As you know, Western Digital has been sponsoring the show for a couple of weeks now, and Western Digital, WD as I like to call them, is um, a great, great way to um, save your stuff, to keep it on a solid-state drive. So with WD, you are now able to get solid-state drives and hard drives that fit your unique needs. And when you add the superior performance of WD's solid-state drive to your PC, you get blazing read speeds so you can boot your system quickly, load games, and other applications in a snap. For games library, direct feed videos, podcasts, and more, all in a single place. So for a limited time, engage listeners, that's you, can get 20% off select WD solid-state drives with a coupon code. And the coupon code is all one word, WDENGAGE, W-D-E-N-G-A-G-E. And you can go to WD.com slash engage and you can find out more. Why not save 20%? Why not? Be a fool not to. So with that in mind, uh, we are going to take a quick pause and we're going to beam in our guest for today. And we're going to talk deep, deep lore about TNG. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. And we're back. Awesome. So it is... uh, Early July, it's a hot summer. It's not that hot out there. It's a it's a fine summer day, and we have a great guest that we are about to uh, to beam in. Uh, first of all, wait, is he out there? Let me let me. Linda Hura, open a channel to all decks. Oh yeah, we are gonna beam him in. Uh, that is number three. Whoa! So Pan, you are. My gosh. <laughs> I, you are this is, that you are making my childhood dreams come true right now. <laughs> this is a. I used to as a kid. I used to uh, like put on Star Trek, like put a little you know 
com badge on my yeah. chest and run around the house. What do you mean, little kid? You were doing this last week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, please don't tell my please don't tell uh, you know, you know no. my family about no that. No one knows about this. Yeah. So, uh, so Pandeb, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, you are. Uh, what is your current title over at the New York Times? Do you have uh, an official title? I, I, yeah, the official title is a culture writer. Culture writer. Okay. Yeah. Culture um, reporter writer. You came to. Uh, I grew to know you over. Know you. We've met five minutes ago, but I grew to know <laughs> you in 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 the internet at least, where mm-hmm. you feel like you know people. Uh, <laughs> over the past two years, as many people did, you were embedded on the Donald Trump campaign. Right. And covering that circus uh, with tremendous uh, reportage, but also a lot of humor and the occasional Star Trek quote. So <laughs> many, yeah. The, <laughs> these three things came to a head. And um, while I don't want to give too much commentary about our our, our, our great leader, uh, President Donald Trump, uh, his campaign wasn't all bad because it brought you to the to the fore. So that's good. Oh, well, thank you. And I also, that. you know, it's fun. My two great passions in life are Star Trek and the rock band Fish. Oh, oh, you're a fish head. I am. Oh, it's... and someone else who similarly, you know, I don't want to say took advantage of, but who's Star rose with the campaign was Katie Turr yes. at NBC, and she's yes. a tremendous fish fan. Huge fish fan. And yeah. is constantly making fish jokes on television mm-hmm. and making fish Did, fans blow uh, their mind. Jake Sherman, who is a writer for Politico, yeah. came on MSNBC with Katie. Yeah. And they did an entire segment just talking in fish lyrics. It's, it is something that has been uh, has been analyzed and discussed right. in the fish community for quite some time. But this is not the fish podcast. This is the Star Trek podcast, and um, I mean it's 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 pretty amazing your love of Star Trek, and and one can Google your name and Star Trek and. There's, it's not just one or two hits. Yeah, it's, right. like 20, it's like 25. So yeah. it's pretty sincere stuff. Um, and there's some funny stuff, too. I, I think that the, the thing that, that my favorite, if I was going to do a ranking right. of your greatest Star Trek moments, was when um, the great actor uh, F. Murray Abraham wrote, <laughs> who's, a, who's a star of, of theater and film and has I won mean, an, a legendary actor. Won an I Academy mean, Award yes. for Amadeus. <laughs> Wrote a very heartfelt note, uh, a letter to the editor at the Times, about um, about uh, the Syrian refugee crisis. And F. Murray Abraham is um, is he Syrian or I know he's he's from the uh, Middle East. Somewhere. I'm not sure. I, I, I think he might be Lebanese, but it's it's irrelevant. He's he wrote an article. He does, but I do know he does a lot of work with refugee or, he, or a refugee group of some sort. I don't remember off the top of my head. Right. So he wrote a, a beautiful letter to the editor. And you, <laughs> right. as someone who has a tremendous following on social media uh, wanted to call attention to it, which is what you do all day. You're always on Twitter. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know when you when you, uh, when when you I, sleep. When I work, or when I work. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so you wanted to, to, to bring this to the fore and say, hey guys, make sure you see this. So you refer to him as F. Murray Abraham, parentheses, of Star Trek Insurrection, <laughs> writes a letter to the New York Times advocating on behalf of Syria. So probably the lowest point, I mean, we love Star Trek, we even love Insurrection on the official Star Trek podcast, but... He was one of the few bright spots of uh, what was our otherwise... <laughs> that is a good way to put it, and yeah. he definitely did rise that. I mean, Insurrection is not... Um, is not Star Trek's finest hour. It no, really, it really is not. It really is not. But, but it's, if it's on TV, if oh. I'm, I will stop 
I will yeah. watch it. No question about well, it. Well, that's the that's the thing about Insurrection was it's an episode. Right. It's just an episode that's a little bit longer, and it's a bummer because the movies usually had a much higher budget, mm-hmm. and you were expecting a little bit more, and then yeah. Insurrection comes out, and you're like, where? What are, well, the CGI is still very good. You know, I, I think the CGI is still very good, in, in uh, especially you know in those Briar Patch scenes where the yeah, you know, yeah, you know. But maybe I'm wrong. I you know I I I guess I just. I know that a lot of the, especially the TNG, there are a lot of yeah. big flaws in these films. Yeah. But I will just stop, and you know what? I'll, yeah. My mind will totally. When ignore Data's them. singing the HMS Pinafore, oh, and that God. is, just <laughs> oh my lord, he presses Wonderful. one button, <laughs> and the lyric, you know, Picard presses one button, and the lyrics to HMS Pinafore come up, and somehow within ten seconds, Worf knows the war and knows the tune. A Klingon who probably has never listened to, uh, you know, this <laughs> Gilbert and Tearing Sullivan in his life. <laughs> It's great. It's great. I mean, it's uh, it is wonderful. I mean, I love it all. What can I say? Yeah, right. You know, that's right. that's just the way it is. So you are dying one. TNG is your main is your main thing. Well, right? I'm also a big D Space Nine Voyager yeah. guy. I've seen all the films. Okay. Um, I'm less uh, of an Enterprise guy. I've seen a lot of the Enterprise episodes. Yeah. I just. I never felt like I was watching a Star Trek series when I was watching Enterprise. Well, I and then the finale just killed me. You know, the finale it, is it, controversial, it, it, and everyone involved in the finale has since apologized. No, right. I mean, seriously, yeah, the yeah. writers yeah. have apologized. Jonathan Frakes has apologized. Mm-hmm. Has said he well, he didn't so much apologize, but recognized that maybe it shouldn't have been about right. him and Troy. It should have been about those characters. Yeah, you know? it was. It was um, so, but TNG, I think I actually think D Space Nine is the more is the, is the best Trek series. Um, in in the later in the latter half, yeah, when seasons the, four through whatever, yeah. Yeah, because I think that Dominion War story for there there are a couple of reasons. First, it was you know the I think Cisco wasn't a black and white captain in the way that you know Picard was. Picard yeah. was very clear, had very clear ethical divisions. To oh him, yeah, where Cisco was very you know very gray area, you know willing to break rules if he has to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he had know, that line, you know, we're not out, we're not in, you know, what, what's the, the exact quote was, we we don't live in paradise, you know, mm-hmm, we live out mm-hmm. here in the, in the I, hinterland. And to me, the best episode of Trek I've ever seen is, 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 the, is the DS9 episode, and I'm forgetting the name of in it. In the now. Pale Moonlight. Is that the one where Ducat? Yes. Uh, I mean, not Ducat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the Garrick. Garrick. Thank you. Yeah. When Garrick assassinates the, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, that was just such a such a well executed, just just. It, it, that to me was the best of Trek in, in many many ways. Well, it's interesting you refer to that as the best of Trek because this this episode comes up a lot on this show mm-hmm. and it, and it comes up a lot at the conventions. I think it's wonderful also, but part of what makes it so great is that it breaks every Trek rule. Yes, because yeah, sure, he does not do the I guess honorable thing. He does not do the ethical thing. He the ends justify the means in mm-hmm. that episode, and he deletes the diary entry. Cisco at the end. Yes, and yes, he yes. Does yes, something yes. that Picard and Kirk would have never done. Now no. that being said, Picard and Kirk had never been put in a situation like that before. Uh, you know, Kirk mm-hmm. especially he doesn't believe in a no-win situ- scenario, right. and he right. always gets out of it somehow right. on his guile, on his looks, on his luck. <laughs> uh, in Wrath of Khan, when he's finally put in a no-win situation, what happens? Spock sacrifices himself. That's how he gets out of mm-hmm. it. But Cisco's got to do. Um, something which is turn a blind eye on an immoral act and kills an innocent man for the sake of the getting greater good, or the whatever, greater yeah, good, getting yeah. the Romulans into the war. You know, a sort of a Gulf of Tonkin type mm-hmm. incident, and it's heavy, heavy shit, man. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the only way to describe it, <laughs> and it's totally unlike um, 
the rest of Trek. And had Gene Roddenberry been alive to watch that episode, he would have had a no. He would have had a connection. Yeah, it would, he would have dropped. Yeah, that. it would have totally. He would have come back to life, watched it, and then dropped that again. But it well. wasn't. It wasn't just Cisco. Uh, what I loved about DS Nine, and this is not necessarily a. Um, knock on TNG because TNG was a great series in its own right. I thought that DS9, every character had such a conflicted backstory. Yeah. There was a reason to watch every character except for maybe like you know, uh, Rom or Nog. <laughs> you know, uh, but until the end. But even by but season even, seven, yeah, even seven, by there, had, there was some. But at know, first they were goofy. But, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Kira, the the who starts off in essence as like a terrorist turned oh, yeah. turned a st- eventual Starfleet ally. And you yeah. have Odo who's trying to find his place. You know, uh, the 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 storyline where he's no longer a changeling is just just I think magnificent work. Yeah. Um, who is Dax? You know, and and right. and, and even Worf, who in in in, I, I think Worf, Michael Dorn's work on DS Nine, I think really showed. Um, I almost feel like he was very underappreciated on TNG. At least at first. I mean, he yeah. and you know there are. Well, I mean, they're right. There is the. I mean, there, so he's just his role is just to get either beat up or yeah. get or told that his ideas were stupid. Right, right. right. Like, in the abstract, it's like, he, he's a tough guy. First of all, he's a giant. Mm-hmm. He's got the deepest voice. <laughs> he's wearing the ball drag. Right. I mean, he looks badass mm-hmm. at first. And then you kind of go under the hood a little bit. And, like, he never really gets a chance to be badass. No. Uh, because... That wasn't Picard's way. It's diplomacy. It's discussion. Yeah. You know, not now, Mr. Wolf. We should attack. Not now, Mr. Wolf. Right. And he was always sort of the, the... In hindsight, it never even really made sense that Worf was, you know... Nah, you <laughs> like, it doesn't sound like Picard would look at that and be like, that's the guy I need. Right. A guy with a quick trigger finger. That's the right. guy I need, you know, running running tactical for us. Right. Yeah. Which is why the episodes in the... Um, when they're uh, prisoner and uh, in Deep Space Nine toward the end in the uh, Dominion War arc when there's that sequence when he just is in the battle royales against the Jem'Hadar mm. and you finally see Worf is like, you know, we've written this character as an ultimate warrior. We've never really let him do sure. his thing because our show is about optimism and diplomacy and it really might maybe doesn't always make right. They, they wrote this wide arc right. where they allowed a little room, said finally after all these years and there's that <laughs> sequence of Worf yeah. just beating the hell out of one Jem'Hadar after another in like a it's like a montage of him just like right. you know just the wrestling and getting match. a grudging respect from the Jem'Hadar right. yeah and right. that is so gratifying even if it is not necessarily you know the most <laughs> enlightened sequence and, it's incredibly gratifying and then watch. you flip that to the Cardassian side you look at guys like Dukat who yeah. Dukat was a very nuanced layered character and the same for Damar you know, even, oh, yeah. Yeah. I even found Wayun interesting. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and on, in Star Trek, the characters, and I'm speaking in broad strokes. Like, I, I do don't know much about who Jordy is. Who is Jordy really? You know, Troy. You you yeah. know, depending on you know, yeah. like what what makes Jordy tick outside of engineering? Right. He really loves engineering. He's a dork. Yeah. He's just a he's you know. Just a but we all but we all know yeah. people that love our jobs. Okay. But what is Jordy Jordy doing when you go when he goes back to his quarters? Now you had that one yeah. really creepy um, <laughs> episode where he's like falls in love with someone, and creates a holodeck program. Yeah. And, yeah, that was weird. Yeah. But you know, in general, I just feel like you got to know the DS9 characters on a one on one level a little bit more. Yeah. It's a different type of thing, and and part of it had to do with the fact that it was all on the 
on the station. On, on, yeah, on Enterprise, yeah, they were right. going to a new planet yeah, every right. week and that's finding right. a new guest star every week, that's which right. kind of leads to what we're going to talk yeah, about. Right. But on DS9, it was they had the room to squat, mm-hmm. and it spun out that way. And so like you had the initial X amount of main characters, but then someone like Damar... Who at first, you know, like, you know, when was what was Demar's first big episode? Who really knows? He just sort of showed up. He was the mm-hmm. extra guy, and then suddenly he started getting more lines, and then now he's suddenly somebody seemed you drinking love. a lot. Right. You know, he seemed yeah. like, suddenly you're like, okay, wait, what's what's going? On? You're wondering though. Yeah. You know, with with TNG, I, I feel like often though, not only did I not know that much about, let's say, Jordy or Beverly mm-hmm. Crusher, and you know, I wasn't that concerned with it either. You know, and, and not in necessarily a critical way, yeah. you know, because usually you're distracted by what's going on in the episode. Okay, how are they going to get themselves out of this, right? I was never, I, I just felt like I, I also, it just wasn't the kind of show where I think you cared that much about the backstories of the characters, hmm. you know, but maybe hmm. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, but there's just something at DS9 that always grabbed me a little I, bit I think more there than is a rich. I think there is a richer emotional connection with many of the DS9 characters. Like, you know, Major Cure is somebody that like, like I deeply cared about by the mm-hmm. end. Like I was really worried yeah. that things were going to work out for her. Sure, you know, like if it yeah. didn't, I was going to be really bummed. You know, like I was going to go Kathy Bates and misery on <laughs> on Iris Stephen Perry. But you know if, what? If you know what the other thing is. Here's why I think also why we cared more about the Kiras and and, and Dax and all that it, it is because I think the stakes seemed a little bit more. Um, uh, the stakes seem a little higher on DS9 in that they seem like the characters seem like in legitimate peril mm. on, on, on an episode to episode basis. Yeah. And they really sh- showed the sorrow of the Dominion War a lot. Whereas a TNG, a lot of the episodes are wrapped, a lot of the storylines are wrapped up in a single episode. Yeah. And then next week everything's fine. Next week everything's fine. Yeah. And, and, like, and, and there were very few episodes yeah. where. Um, you're actually wondering, oh, so are they, you know, how are they going to save this life? Yeah. You know, Tasha Yar's death obviously is like the lone exception. Well, that's what's and so Lucutus, funny. Yeah, look, you know, sure. and, yeah. and 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 from my Dana's recollection, yeah. my, my recollection, um, you know, the Picard, the best of both worlds, um, uh, uh, cliffhanger was yeah. stemmed from a contract dispute more than it stemmed from you know like actual. There is uh, there that is that there is lore to that that I think it hasn't officially been figured out yet. Right. But yes, they they rumor it was their was, way of Picard telling Picard, "Listen, <clears throat> we'll cut you off if you right, don't." You right, know. and 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 part of that rang for me watching it at the time uh, because they killed Yar made me think that anything could go. I mean, in retrospect, not mm-hmm. that much. I mean, toward the season five, six, seven, it did get a little bit more um, kind of under the skin a little bit, you know, with, with Worf's son and, and, and uh, you know, other there were some other deaths and whatnot. But um, Tasha Yar dying in season one mm. was enough of a precedent setter that when the Best of Both Worlds part one cliffhanger happened and I was watching it in my grandmother's kitchen, I remember thinking... Oh my God! How, they can't get out of that, right? Because he says fire, <laughs> right? And then, right. like, what, what's going to happen? They're going to blow him up. There's nothing they can do. So, right. you know, that that for me definitely had that. But I, I do think you're right uh, that the the DS9 had a richness um, that I, I'm not saying it didn't exist in, in in TNG, but it was a different kind of thing. I mean, I think for TNG, maybe some of the 
the love of the characters was just because it was archetypes and there was a lot of a one-to-one mapping from the original series mm-hmm. a little bit more like you know yeah. spock and uh, spock yeah. and data are very similar and you know yeah, yeah. so there you know there was some of that Ben ds9 was its own different thing and yeah you're not i mean a lot of people do consider ds9 to be to be the the best and and i i don't disagree i mean I mean, I have a certain love for the original series, and you know, I oh, love sure. I love it all, and I, I definitely, I mean, truth be told, I do, not, I don't hold Enterprise in the same level as the others, um, but the, but I do like Enterprise. I mean, the, the the thing I could say about Enterprise is there are episodes of Enterprise that I've seen once. No, shocking, right? Because <laughs> yeah, right. so, so you know, an average episode of original series I've seen twenty five times. But for Enterprise, there yeah, are some right. episodes that I've seen once, and and eventually I'll see them again. I want to do a whole Enterprise rewatch at some point, but right, you know, it's not. Um, it definitely isn't on the same level. But there are parts of it that I love, and certain characters that I mm-hmm. love, and whatnot. And Bacula wasn't bad. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Bacula. I mean, that was one of the few good decisions <clears throat> that that show made. The Bacula is Captain. He's dynamite. I love that character, and I love Trip Tucker a lot. He is really, he's one of my favorites, and you know, uh, to pause, Shran, I love Shran, I love all those guys. <laughs> so, um, but we were, uh, when we were talking uh, earlier about, you know, what, what should the focus of this episode be, um, now that we've established your, uh, your, your love of Trek, um, and, uh, how Trek figured in? How did Trek figure in on the campaign trail at all? Oh man! Well, for one thing, uh, and you were on the trail for two, over two, yeah, uh, almost two years. Yeah, on the road full time. Now went, went, you, to more, went, were, to, went to more than forty states, hundreds of rallies with Trump. Yeah. And it, you were did, when you got assigned to Trump, so to speak. You were mm. working at the time for CBS. Was yeah. that luck of the draw? Like you could have been assigned to Scott Walker or yeah. Cruz? Well, so basically, uh, there's about each network has about six campaign embeds, give or take. Yeah, I mean, varies from network to network, and each of us were. St- Assigned four four candidates, ah. give or take, and I was assigned Marco Rubio, uh, Rand Paul, uh, Lindsey Graham, and then kind of as a throwaway. This is before Trump had announced. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll give you Trump because you're going to be so busy with <laughs> Rand Paul and Marco Rubio wow. that we'll give you someone who's probably not even going to run. That's like the big bopper getting on that plane. <laughs> 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 and I uh, I was like, uh, you know, I look at the you know Trump. I'll psh- no, that, now we're gonna cover that guy. Yeah, you know, and I was, um, and within you know a month of him running, you know, I was out there, you know, give or take. Yeah. Um, and it 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 was clear to me early on that this was not a run of the mill campaign. Sure. Now yeah. I would be lying if I thought at any point he was going to become president. No, but I didn't think he was the fringe that everyone, a lot of people thought. Um, and in terms of how Trek factored in, uh, well, I, I, I always think there are two things. First of all, you very have very little free time on the trail. Yeah. And when you do, uh, you're always checking your phone. You're always like, because uh, you, know, you never know Trump could tweet, and you, it's just it's just a constantly yeah. very fast moving news cycle. And you're you also to, still you're still tasked to Rubio, who was in the game for a yeah, while. Yeah, right. And, you're, you, know. you absolutely yeah. So there's that too. Yeah. But for me, I would value being in my hotel room, getting back at midnight, one in the morning, and having an hour where I could just pop on my, my favorite DS9 episode and just unplug and not check my phone for it. Wow. Hour. That, was, that was more important to me than an hour of sleep because you just go crazy otherwise. Sure, yeah. And then the other thing I, I always think about is I look at Gene Roddenberry's vision, vision for the future, and I go, my God, what would he think of a Trump candidacy? You know, and I don't know. Yeah. I would be curious if he would look at, you know, Donald Trump as as a um, 
you know as as a as a uh, a step back a step forward i i don't know and i and i and i wonder i always think i think about this idealistic vision he has yeah, to have yeah. for the future and i wonder how far he thinks we're from that you know and it, th- i would sometimes think about that because uh just 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 by just even everything from like whether it's the the capitalism aspect of it uh the the you know the welcoming of people of color and you know all, all that stuff you know I, I i that was something that 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 i would think about sometime yeah yeah and um and that that's pretty much where kind of star trek kind of <laughs> factor it in um yeah. um i just think about it, it, what a strange world Gene Roddenberry thinks our future is, you know? <laughs> right. We're not quite there yet. But um, I think, you know, he probably... But it doesn't seem like... My, my, I guess my point... Yeah. Let, let, me, let me, like, crystallize that. It, yeah. just, it doesn't seem like, you know, this is a world or a country that is headed for harmony in the way that Gene Roddenberry sees yeah. it. Yeah. Well, no. You, you, know? you got to get out of... What's the expression? Before you can get to heaven, you got to get through hell or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to... Yeah. There's that. That's right. one optimistic thing. I mean, maybe he would have figured that uh, someone would come... Like, you know, whenever Kirk would face a real tough obstacle uh, or, like, you know, there would be, like, a really tough robot or computer he would yeah. face, he would talk right. logic to it and it would explode. Yeah, so right. maybe yeah. that is what's coming up next. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, but that's TOS. So TNG, um, we were talking about uh, Next Generation and how many great... Um, uh, guest stars mm-hmm. and just uh, players who were not um, recurring characters, and we figured we would come in each of us with three of our favorite. Mm-hmm. And um, I am going, so we'll do bronze, silver, and gold. Sure, okay. And I'm going to ask you to go first since you're sure. the guest. Okay, so I, 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 I hope I'm not violating here. Um, so I, I did this. Uh, there, there are two things here. Um, I did mine as people. Uh, that appeared once, yes, um, did not appear again, and people that would have, so in, in 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 as in I would love to see. I really wish we saw them again. Okay, I did not include people that appeared once that were perfect in that one time that I didn't want to see again because it would have ruined it. So, for mm. example, yeah, I did not include let's say Spock who appeared only in Unification <laughs> because the what made that episode so great is that we hadn't. It was Spock. Yeah. I didn't want him to become a recurring role on TNG. I wanted the lore of Spock to remain, which is why it killed me that Spock appeared again in the sequel to the reboot. It was so wonderful to see him in the 2009 reboot. And because I remember seeing both in theaters. Okay. And I remember when I first, when he first appeared on screen in 2009 Star Trek, Mm -hmm. the the theater goes crazy Mm -hmm. when he appears in that cave. The second time, I was like, really? We're doing this again? Yeah. You know, part of what, it, you know, the, the, the nostalgic aspect of it was just so great. And that's why, so I didn't include someone like um, uh, uh, Spock or Scotty, Jimmy Duhanna as sure. Scotty. Like, you know, I just thought he was perfect in that one right, episode. Right. Relics, you're talking yes. about season six. Right. And, uh, or Sarek, you know, the, those guys. Because I just thought, yeah. the, the, you, you sprinkle those in. You yes. don't want them. So here's, here's a, I, I will do bronze, uh, uh, bronze, I guess, silver and gold. And, and my bronze is, the uh, first one is, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but uh, Liz Dennehy, who played uh, oh. Lieutenant Commander Shelby yeah. in The Best of Both Worlds. Well, that's yeah. funny you should put that, because she was one of my many that was ended up being tied for fourth place. Oh, is that right? So I'm and glad you brought her up. <laughs> here's why she's notable. Uh, yes. If you think about when Best of Both Worlds aired, 
it was at a time when Star Trek didn't have, you know, a uh, lot of strong commander women on on the show. You had Nechaya, uh, yeah, Admiral Nechaya, Nech- and right. she was always a stick in the mud. Right. Yeah. Hey, right. Here's a, here's a woman that comes along, clearly competent. Oh yeah. Okay. Clearly, just just uh, will not take any you know will not take guff from anybody. Not even the very handsome Will Riker can, can right. get her to change her mind. Right. Um, but also very good at what she does. She wasn't like someone who uh, was you know arrogant without having cause to be. She knew what she was doing. Yeah. And it really bummed me out. We never saw her again. Did she become captain? What happened to her? She's, she, yeah, she's off um, exploring the board. She's <laughs> she's the board. You no, know, but whisperer, here's someone you know? who. Probably saved Earth with you know in the in those two episodes, and we never heard from her again. Yeah, that really bummed me out because she was such a strong character. You know what? What did Picard do after? I hope he wrote her a nice recommendation. <laughs> you know, I, I I just I just thought that was uh, I would have I that's a role that I thought should have been a recurring role. Interesting. And what's also interesting is you mentioned before that you know there was that tease at the end of part one in that cliffhanger that. Uh, Picard was going to die. Patrick Stewart was going to be written off the show, and the new dynamic of uh, Jonathan Frakes and Elizabeth Dennehy as as Riker mm-hmm. and Shelby that would have been great. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, and and also that episode showed a lot of growth for Jonathan Frakes as yeah, well. Yeah, you know Frakes. Uh, you know you see him truly vulnerable. You see him as you know potentially the next captain. Yeah, you know, and and you could clearly, I, I think Frakes played this very well in that you clearly see he's he's playing in that he's fronting that he's very confident, but you can tell he's not sure. Of oh, himself. he's flipping out, yeah. You know? On and the I, inside, but he's I just thought, driving him crazy. And yeah. I thought he really, as an actor, played off played that off really well. Whereas Shelby, and and I think this is true to her, the character, Shelby was legitimately sure of herself. Yeah, you know, yeah. she had she had every confidence yeah, in, you know, in she, a way that Riker didn't. She's presented sort of as a bad guy, but she's not. Like she's a little, she's a foil. Mm-hmm. She's not a villain. You know, she's not she's right. not evil, but she's yeah. a foil. And you know that dynamic gets played again in Chain of Command when um, uh, uh, Ronnie Cox's character. Uh, oh sure, um, yes, uh, the 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 admiral. Um, yes, uh, um, I forget his name now too, but yeah, he was that's, excellent that's too. How I roll, as yeah. I, um, um, but we'll get to uh, the, we'll get to a chain of command in a little oh, bit. Really? Because I have. All right. Do you want me to do my my number? My oh, number? Well, yeah. Give me your Jellico, bronze, Captain Edward Jellico. Jellico, that's right. And by the way, Shelby, I'm 99 percent certain, um, shows up in the books afterwards, right? Oh, I mean, is that right? Oh, she has to. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. She's in a zillion. Um, oh yeah, yeah. She ends up um, in the Peter David uh, Mackenzie Calhoun books. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so yeah, what, what, yeah. Ha- what happens to her? Do we know? No, I don't know. I personally don't know, but she's in a lot of... She ends up um, on uh, in the New Frontier books that Peter David ha- wrote under Mackenzie Calhoun, which is hardcore, deep, deep... Uh, <laughs> That's a deep Expanded. Uh, she, at some point, is his first officer. That does not surprise me at all. Okay. Riker's first officer. No, no. Uh, McK- McK- the New Frontier books was a series that Peter yeah, yeah. David wrote that had no... Sp- Oh, it didn't uh, have a. It was its yeah. own. It was its own yeah. ship, mm-hmm. and it. Uh, I haven't read too much of it, but uh, it, yeah, it yeah, pops yeah. up in some of the other expanded okay. Star Trek novels, okay. which is the next level. On the next campaign, <laughs> you're going to start reading the Star Trek novels. Okay. No, uh, I read a couple of Shatners. Um, <laughs> the Shatterverse, oh, where he comes uh, back to life. <laughs> he comes after, back. Yeah, they have his memory in the Matrix right. or something. Yeah, oh yeah. man, 
I mean, uh, with the way they killed him off, can you blame him? Yeah, no, I cannot. Yeah, no. I cannot. Um, okay, so that Shelby gets. Oh, do you want to do your bronze? Yeah, here's yeah, my okay. bronze. You yeah, ready? I'm going to get reamed for this yeah, because please. this is this is a um, uh, a Wesley Crusher specific episode, mm-hmm. which oh, already no. which already has people. Oh no! And it's it's Wesley's love interest. Oh no! Um, but it's not even Robin Leffler. Uh, are we talking about wait which episode is I'm this? I'm talking about the episode the Dauphin. Fresh my memory. That is the one where uh, it's early on. It's young Wesley. Okay. And there's the 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 young girl. She's a actress was actually 27, but okay. she's playing 15. Yeah. And she's actually a leader who's going to a planet to try and bring peace oh, and yes, harmony. I do remember. People hate this episode. She's so good. She was a she was a she was a young leader of uh, of two yes. warring factions. Warring factions. There was a yeah. planet that was uh, all, right. one was in yes. all darkness and one was in all light. And so she's raised elsewhere, and the actress that plays her is a woman by the name of, I have it written down, her name is Jamie Hubbard. Okay. And she never really did much else. Uh, Right. Right now, she's actually living in Los Angeles. She works as a... a, uh, uh, a psychotherapist and uh, interesting. You, and her email address and her phone number is right there. If you want to, she has like marriage counseling and right, whatnot, and right. she looks fantastic. So the deal with this episode, which I love, um, so Jamie Harbour, she was 27 mm-hmm. when she did this, and she's play, she's the love interest of um, flirty love interest. She's definitely supposed to be a little bit older than Wes, right? But like a year or two. Wesley uh, Will Wheaton was 17 at the time, but he's kind of playing 15, 16, you right. know, 16 right. and yeah, a half, sure. 16 and three quarters. Um, and she is, you know, she's got this, her shtick is she's just got this mile wide grin. And when you first see her, what you later learn is that she's been sort of um, held almost like she's being groomed to be this leader. And all she wants to be is to, to explore, to have a life of her own, to be a child, to be free. And she's fascinated and everything. And she's yep. brilliant. Yep. So the reason why Wesley loves her is because she's beautiful and smiles a lot. Yeah, she's right. like his age. She knows everything about everything, which is exciting for his big brain also. Yep. And we later link she can transform in like giant bug beasts. And then when you see her, her mm-hmm. natural form yeah, is right. not as this smiley girl. She's yes, like a beam right. of light. <laughs> but it's the best scene. And it's so geeky and dorkily romantic is when they first meet. Her name is uh, Salia. And um, they beam her aboard. And I'm going to read it word for word, right? So... Um, Picard is there and he's welcoming her and she's got also her her um, granny, her governess. And the governess, by the way, transforms also. She's like a little, mm-hmm, first mm-hmm, she's like a little mm-hmm. small yeah. bug beast, then she's a giant yep. bug beast. And then for a little while she transforms into um, an attractive young woman uh, who's played by Madchen Amick of uh, Twin Peaks fame. Oh, Yeah, okay. just for like one scene. Yeah. It's like, oh, who's this other sure. girl? It's like yeah. kind of hot. What's going on? So, here's the thing. Uh... Picard is walking her through the corridor, and he's bumbling, oh, but we've got your quarter set up, blah, 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 blah. And Wesley's just there, and his mouth is just kind of, like, open, like, oh, who is this girl? She's so beautiful. And she does a big close-up on her, and she kind of leaps over to, bounds over to him yes, with yes, excitement. And she right. goes, oh, she's gasping. She goes, that's a superconducting magnet, isn't it? <laughs> and he says, yes, uh, it's a, an SCM model. How did you know that? Study for the last 16 years. It's all I could do. <laughs> and she's like, please. And so like, she's just like a sexy 
smart science chick, you know? But she plays it really, really well. It's so sweet. It's not lewd or lascivious or leering at all, I don't think. It's just such a sweet thing. And every scene between the two of them, it just brings me such... Such joy. I mean, I, I, I guess I sort of had a, you know, I projected myself into Wesley a little bit when I was yeah, a kid. sure. I mean, uh, sure. What can I say? I here, here's what, I, and I, Wesley Crusher, has, you know, will has been dissected at length by TNG fans going <laughs> yeah. back. Uh, however, I, I just think that he was such a misused character, not a bad one. Mm. Just, just put in. I, I don't think Will Wheaton was put in a particularly good position to succeed in that role. That is a very fair point because he was either just like a dopey kid or super genius and nowhere in between yeah right? yeah I, I think that's right I, he, he was he, there was just no nuance to him yeah and you know you didn't get to see him I I just I can't think of a single time where I was like well wow, this is a this is a good use of Wesley you know <laughs> like I just can't think like uh, and 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 that by the way extended all the way to his lone appearance in Nemesis, right. to, in the TNG movies, right. his one scene got cut, right. <laughs> and then that one scene is when he like he's hitting on a woman, right, in right. which no one would hit on a woman, <laughs> and he's a full grown adult. It was just, yeah. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, it's I hate to say it, but like the best thing, the coolest thing that Wesley ever did was leave, yeah. like to go with the Traveler and be yeah. some pan dimensional you know brilliant mm-hmm. traveler of some sort right like that's the coolest thing about his character was that he he split he's like starfleet i'm out of here right i don't know he's got some good moments the 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 first duty episode where he's covering up for his friends and the, yes you know what uh where uh uh the actor uh D- D- duncan Dun- robert duncan McNeil. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he uh plays well not tom paris at yeah the time. but uh yes that was a very good episode but frankly, less to do with Wesley and more to do with Robert Duncan. Yeah. Speaking of great cast and it's great of it's great moment is when Picard is just ripping him to shreds when he's screaming at like, all first duty is to the truth. You know yeah. that that scene is just amazing. <laughs> um, so Celia is my bronze okay. medal. That's I, I you know I got to be honest and I I I think of her fondly and in a and now that I am an old man and she's still fifteen in my in my eyes. In my mind and in my heart, I think of her in, as in an avuncular way. You know, I mm-hmm. I admire her and encourage her to be the 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 weirdo nerd science girl slash yeah great right. uh, U- UN Secretary General of whatever planet she's going to. Right. You know, it's uh, so just to circle back on the Wesley thing in one second is is something I had to think about when it comes to when I used to like quote unquote as a kid play Star Trek yeah. right and dress up and, and pretend I was a Starfleet captain you know and I and I, I would have you know I would take a joystick you know and, and pretend I was like a pilot in my room and you know all the characters on Star Trek whether it was Riker or you know Picard or Cisco or they made being into sci-fi being into space cool it felt cool to me yeah wesley crusher was the one guy who i was like oh i'm I'm, that guy just that guy's ruining this for me (laughs) you know that's and 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 that's being grossly unfair to will wheaton yeah who i i like very much we actually had a very very fun twitter exchange yes you did uh and (laughs) and uh what am i but i i I really i because i i think that given better 
direction uh, yeah. given better writing for his character I think he you know you could see because you could see the potential there yeah you know and the costuming I mean that sweater is just oh, uh, you know God. now it's a kitsch thing but I mean it's like Jar Jar you know it's like one of those mm -hmm. it's it's you know you gotta just love it uh, but it is it, it, it yeah some people have never quite and quite gotten to that part where they just at this point embrace it but but he uh, but he wasn't the worst Star Trek kid though Jake Sisko takes takes oh, the worst Star Trek. Come kid. on, how oh, can you say that? No, Mike. his mother died a Wolf three five nine. How can you say that? I, I I know, but in terms of is that just, is that just because of um, I, there's not a character that I loathe or skip past scenes more than Jake Sisko. Really? Yeah, I just uh, name me a single compelling uh, episode that has Jake Sisko. Yarmuk sauce, well, self stealing uh, self stealing stem bolts. Uh, I'm trying to refresh my memory. That's when he and and young Nog are trying to. Uh, uh, Even Nog, I actually like Nog more than more than Jake Sisko. Nog to me was kind of interesting. Here's a guy that is brought up in a culture that is supposed to be purely just about capitalism, yeah. and he goes, "No, screw that! I want to join Starfleet." Yeah, no, he's great, and though. and and with no real discernible his his discernible skill is like making money. That's that's and like okay, go to Starfleet, man. Yeah. Jake Sisko was a horrible journalist who who like he, he, I, who like what he went. To one, he was embedded once in a battle, and he kind of he kind of flipped out. Uh, is that I can try to remember that? Yeah, he he witnessed um, some sort of ambush on. He was embedded once, mm. and then he he got had PTSD as a result. Oh, okay. I, I just remember him like, uh, you know, him taking censorship lying down because <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on, man, it's like twenty whatever the, yeah. the year is, and you're like, <laughs> come on, man. Uh, whenever. Uh, I think Star Trek just doesn't do kids well. Maybe that's fair. You know, they just don't but, do kids well. But even as the Jason got older, you know, I just, I was just always was right. And know, then they tried to do on Voyager. They made, you know, Kess was a kid. I mean, she was six oh, years actually, old. I actually thought Kess was an excellent character. I like Kess too. A I lot actually, of people, th I, a lot of people didn't. I, I liked Kess a lot. I found her to be very compelling. I thought she was in intriguing, uh, and it was there was sort of that weird. Like, there's that thing, like, with Dax, you know, I mean, she's, you know, you see her and you look, it's Terry Farrell, but then Cisco's calling her old man, and you're like, oh, yeah, she's lived these mm -hmm. seven other lives. Mm -hmm. You look at Kess, she's six years old, but Jennifer Lean was a, was a right. grown woman, and yeah. it's a little bit of a, you got to readjust your thinking a little bit. But so. Kess is one of the few characters, and, and I'll add Neelix to this, I'll add Chakotay, um, Seven of Nine, where I was like... In that same DS9 vein where I'm like, wow, I'm legitimately interested in what is going on there. Yeah. You know, like, how did you get here and why and what what is the, what's going on? Not as much with like, you know, the Harry Kims and, and, and the Tom Paris. Because they were, because they were, um, they were more uh, traditional. They're, yeah. Traditional roles. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about Seven of Nine and um, Jerry Ryan is that she... She had uh, a miserable time on the show, if I recall. Well, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. The, the costuming, and she and she and um, Mulgrew didn't get along at the time. Now they do. Um, is that right? So the, the, have, they, they get along fine now? There were little sparks between the two mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. Um, her performance, Jerry Ryan was, to a degree, a victim of the, the, the least... The, uh, the least belligerent form of prejudice there is, which is that she was so beautiful... That people didn't take her seriously, you know. She was such oh. a sex symbol, which is on you know by conventional standards, she's a she's a she's a you know out of a ten, she's a three thousand. I mean, she's a very 
you know, uh, conventional beauty put in a very lascivious outfit, and a lot of people just wrote her off and say, "Oh, the the show's down in the readings. Ratings. They they need some boobs on the screen." Mm. And the truth of the matter is, there was a degree of truth to that, but her performance is really, really nuanced and very funny. I mean, her comic timing is hilarious. Yes, and you know, the character was but also when she is at her most um, agonized. Yeah. I was, my eyes were glued to the screen. Yeah, you yeah. Know, when she, especially those early episodes, when she's first introduced, because it's, you know, you kind of wish that, uh, what's that famous Tangie episode with Hugh? I think it's just called Hugh. Uh, I, I, I bore. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought, I was like, wow, I, this was, I, I was like, wow, I, I don't want this to be just an episode long. And here, here comes Jerry Ryan kind of the embodiment of that sure. of that episode one of the best episodes of TNG mm-hmm. but she really put a lot of nuance and a lot of depth into that into that into that run yeah you yeah, know yeah. I, 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 re- I, re- I really thought so um, and the transition was good and then it became you know every Trek has always had the outsider trying to get in which is very important for fans because a lot of the fans of Star Trek historically have been you know, they felt they didn't quite fit in, so they identified with Spock, and they identified with Data, and on Voyager, and then on DS9 they identified with Odo, and on Data they didn't in in, in Voyager they didn't really have that yet. Maybe oh, Kess was point. supposed to be that. That's a good point. And um, I guess the closest would be like, you know, before Kess and uh, I guess Neelix, you know. Yeah, but he's such a gregarious. Uh, you know, he wasn't shy, right? Yeah, I mean, the, right. The, you know. That yeah, you're right. Really, really, I mean, Tuvok. No, because he was part of the crew. Yeah, you know, right. He, he, and he was James. Same for uh, yeah. Torres and um, Chakotay. Yeah. Um, you, ca- I kind of wish early on they. I, I felt like they resolved the Maquis being on the ship of a. Yeah. I felt like they resolved that very like there was, was a very, little pat maybe kind of happened. Yeah, to, just kind of like. It, let's put it this, if you t- if you started watching Voyager in season three. They like they never mentioned it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like you would never know that they were at war yeah, at the beginning, right. you know? That's it right. just kinda yeah. went in. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage. Official Star Trek podcast with your host Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. So, who's your silver oh, medal yes. for? Okay, for before this? I, yeah. All right, I am going to mispronounce. It's been a long time since I've seen this episode, yeah. but I think it is one of the strongest episodes of TNG, and uh, um, it is an episode called. I guess she's in uh, two episodes actually. Uh, the, the episodes are called The Emissary and Reunion. It is Susie Plaxon. Oh, yeah. As uh, Ambassador, how do I pronounce this? Uh, Kalar? Kalar. Kalar. Okay. Kalar, yeah. yeah, that's right. Kalar. Yeah. And uh, I remember the first episode she shows up, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? Uh, Worf has a love interest, and yeah. he has a. Uh, the, this is the mother of his son. <laughs> then they eventually like, kill her off, and you're like, wait a minute. I want to know more about this relationship. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a a dignity that TNG did not allow Worf very often. Mm. This is a this is something that they did not they, this is not room that this room they allowed Michael Dorn to explore in DS9, yeah. but at that time 
this is something that gave Worf a level level of depth that he had previously not had. That's A. B, a very strong performance. Yeah. yeah. One of the few, you know, I think women that could like a that could play Klingon and match Michael Dorn note for note. Right, right, right. You know, yeah. because I think playing playing a Klingon is a challenging thing. Right. And she was also a very cerebral Klingon, right? She yes. was like a tactician. Right. It wasn't like yeah. she was like the Duras sisters no, where it was no, like, no. you know, all all bark, all bite. She was like, you know, contemplative. She was a contemplative Klingon. Yeah. Um but aside from the power of the of the of the performance itself and aside from the nuance it gave Worf, I just thought I wanted to know more about it. Yeah. See, it was but, a good enough performance that you want to know more. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Well, that's the first rule of show busy. Always leave right. more. It's funny that. So Susie Plaxton, um, by the way, she's played three characters on Star Trek. She was uh, on the original first season of TNG. She was the nurse, um, the Vulcan nurse called oh, um, Salar, I think. Or, okay. It, you would recognize her. And then she was on Voyager. She was the female Q. Oh, yeah, she didn't wear any makeup for that. Oh, but interesting. So, but dig this. So uh, she's always at the conventions, right? right. She's fan favorite. Sure, she's, sure. She mixes it up with the fans. She's very funny. Sometimes she'll just go, uh, like at the convention, like where people are just having lunch. You know, it's like right. the extra room where people sure. are just having a sandwich. Sure. She'll just sure. go around and shake hands. You know. Yeah. So one of the shticks that she's been doing for the last few years is a non-canonical show that she puts on, where she dresses herself in. Um, like on stage, she'll appear as Susie, and then she will become Kalar. She'll put the makeup on, <laughs> and she will commune with Kalar and fill you in on what she's been up to. Like wow. you know, she felt that she, like you said, she died too soon, and explains her, you know, her travels in the underworld or whatever. Right. So uh, the performances are so good that it pulls it off. But but in the in the end of that, uh, when she gets killed off, Worf immediately rushes to a Klingon uh, bird of prey or yeah. whatever the, and, and then stabs Duras. And for me, I'm like, okay, here's a woman that makes Worf do this. Why? My God, I I wish that, you know, this is a big, this is a big alliance shifting moment in the show. And it happened because of a character we've seen once. Right, right, right. And and so for me, this is a, a great example. Unlike Spock, who I didn't want to see anymore because because of the lore, this is a great example of a character where the performance was so good that the story ends up being underserved as a result, mm. you know? Uh, and, and so it, it was, and then the weird thing is Worf never, uh, suffered any consequences as a result. Right. He just kind of got a, he got a, he got a, um, uh, uh, I think got like a, the equivalent of a demerit on his record. <laughs> you know, I, they, I, they kind of brushed it under the he rug. He murdered him. Right. <laughs> that was murder. Well, circumstances. I mean, you can't yeah. just, he wasn't tried in court. He was a Federation oftener that just murdered someone. <laughs> well, you know, and I, it, and I don't even know if it was actually established beyond a reasonable doubt that it was Duras. We know as you know as Duras. I know it was Duras. <laughs> but like, in terms of in, in if that happened today, oh yeah, that's murder. Dwarf <laughs> is guilty of murder. Like, it, it just it just struck and and Duras who who is this powerful figure in the Klingon Empire. My guess is, in the real world, yeah. some allies somewhere are like, wait a minute, Worf murdered our guy. Well, we have some questions. Was, wasn't, but the, the thing is, the power vacuum was then filled with people that were grateful. Uh, grateful for, for Gowron? Yeah. Uh, At the time, yeah. But I'm sure, but Duras still had his allies, right? 
his powerful allies. Because you don't, I don't think you rise up and get that many people behind you <laughs> without having your, without having legit, like genuine support. Yeah, it's I, not like Duras is like coercing guy, all the support. Yeah. You know, Man, but I don't know. It wasn't because, a situation when finally he was gone. They're like, "Yay, we're free. We don't have to listen to that guy anymore." Right. It's not like mm. it's not like Worf liberated these people. Right. Right. You right. Know? But yeah. my point. But here's my point, though. If, if, if yeah. my point is. It's worth exploring all that, and and part of what made it worth exploring is that the the guest performance was Came so strong. The performance, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, she and was, it was a wonderful episode. I yeah. I, I I actually think that that storyline, if if could have been fleshed out and made into an excellent TNG movie. Yeah, you know, a Worf movie would have been great. Sure, you know, you know, but it, it was sort of it did leave a legacy in that Alexander would be around. So when you would see him, you would remember her to a degree. Mm. So maybe you know, unlike say Picard's girlfriend Vosh, who was only in two episodes but left who a real. Who was Vosh again? Uh, the, the sort of the archaeologist. Oh, the from Ra- Jones. did they meet on they met Risa? On Risa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she was a lot of fun. So let me tell you what my uh, silver medal Please. was. Um, and this, you, I have a hunch it's going to be on your number one then because we referenced it. Yeah. Was from the episode um, Chain of Command. Uh, Gull Madrid. Yeah, that's mine. Yeah, that's, that's your my, number that's one. My, that's my okay. Gold, yeah. So you know what? Hey, Brian, we have uh, an audio cue. Let's hear uh, about a minute of of David Warner's performance from Chain of Command. When children learn to devalue others, they can devalue anyone, including their parents. What a blind narrow view you have what an arrogant man you are what do you know of Cardassian history I know that once you were a peaceful people with a rich spiritual life what did peace and spirituality get us people starved by the millions bodies went unburied disease was rampant suffering was unimaginable since the military took over, hundreds of thousands more have died. But we are feeding the people. We acquired territory during the wars. We developed new resources. We initiated a rebuilding program. We have mandated agricultural programs. That is what the military has done for Cardassia. And because of that, my daughter will never worry about going hungry. Whoa. Her belly may be full. Wait. But her spirit will be empty. Belly may be full, but her spirit may be empty. Ah, oh, there it is. Yeah. Smacks him. My God. Oh, what a performance. It really is terrific. It's the best. So David Warner, um, first of all, this was his second Star Trek appearance. Mm. He was in the 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 very quite sometimes uh, correctly maligned Star Trek V. He was on Nimbus Three. He was the he was the English he was the the, the humanoid. Oh, yeah, he was that guy. Uh, he was on, he had a small part in Star Trek Five <laughs> with the Romulan gal and the Klingon yeah, sure, dude. Sure, um, yeah. And um, not Klingon, uh, Vulcan. Mate. And um, he I knew him from Tron. Tron. You know, yeah, he's the, he's Sark from Tron. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. it's been a long time since he's the Tron. bad guy. Yeah, sure. Brian, you just made it. Is that where you recognize uh, that voice from? Uh, yeah, I'm like, where do I know that from? And <laughs> that, that's, that's absolutely it. It's Sark from Tron, and then of course he did a zillion years of theater in Britain, yes. which and so he and Patrick Stewart knew one another, and the scene where where Madrid is is torturing him, and. Uh, 
you know, uh, Patrick Stewart, um, they closed the set and said, I will do this scene naked, knowing that they weren't going to show nudity on, on TV, but he felt that it would be good for the character and he and Warner, he respected Warner enough to felt that it would be the right thing to do. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't so know when that. he's beating the shit out of Picard, he is he is a, a, a naked captain. He, here's and, what I love about that scene, yeah. and you hear hear it there, is that I think when an actor initially sees those lines and see, okay, I'm a villain, your 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 temptation is to overdo it. Yeah, and kind of yell and kind of like you know be ham ham fisted about yeah. it. Montalban and Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Which had its own, sure. you know. I mean, um, Ricardo Montalban had, had his had his own um, the whole the whole different style. Yeah, you know, whole different style. But he's so calm that you could. It almost makes it more vicious. It's it terrifying. Almost, it, yeah, it almost makes it like 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 he is this man is a sociopath. Like he's so casual in his brutality. Yeah, you know that's what makes that. And, and the reason this is, and I, and I, and I, as I qualified at the beginning, is like this is a character I want to see more of. Because if I recall, and tell me if I'm wrong here, and again, because it's been a while since I've seen this episode. At the end of the episode, uh, you know, Captain Jellico, uh, Admiral Jellico does his thing. They they just they pull. You know, he's doing the there are four lights thing. Yeah, they just kind of like pull. Him out, yeah, and then that's it. No, he's not killed or anything. Not killed. Like yeah. we don't know what happened to him. This guy was put in charge of interrogating the Federation's probably in the top five of most important <laughs> people. Right. Yeah. And then you know, is is uh is is, is we just never hear he from him. Back again. to work Monday morning. And I would you know? love because you could just see the potential. Now I understand this guy's a well-known actor. You know, yeah. you, can, you probably don't have access to him. You know. But this guy has the potential to probably be the best villain in TNG. Yeah, you know, well, like I, better than Admiral Sela, probably. <laughs> no, and, and, and I yeah. liked I liked the Admiral Sela storyline. Yeah, you know, better than Tomalock. Yeah, you know, Tomalock, who almost seemed at times cartoonish. Tomalock's a good example. Who, who I actually, you know, there are moments of Tomalock where I'm like, uh, very, this is very good. But Tomalock at times was cartoonish in his, his villainry. You know, um, uh, where it was just like, can't, you can't take him seriously. And and you could see him and Picard not playing well off each other as a result. This was a clearly like not that. Yeah, they were equals. I mean, yeah. because, they, because um, they were both so smart, right? I mean, Picard is an incredibly intelligent man and, and Madrid is... He knows exactly what his place is. I mean, it's the banality of evil, is what it is. Yes. It's that he's he's got a job to do, which is to be the the torturer and to get the codes. And when his if his daughter is going to come by, yeah, very casually, you know, because yeah, you know, it's his office hours. Mm-hmm. So the daughter's going to come by, and he's going to talk to her and let her see the wounded prisoner because that's just what he does, and that's just the society. Take your daughter to work day. Take yeah. your daughter to work day. And what's interesting is that this episode aired um, in December of 1992, mm-hmm. so before DS9 started. It was not the first encounter with the Cardassians, but it was one of the first, and it really helped establish who they were and what they were all about, which is they had oh, these... Oh, sure. They had these intricacies. They were, they were totally... They were fascist. They were ends justify the means, but they had this weird quirk about family, and um, they thought that they were doing the right thing. I mean, they they thought that their empire was for the best. I mean, in that quote we heard 
you know, when the military took over, our children aren't hungry anymore. So it, it, we're not just like chaotic evil, right? They, right. they, they're. It wasn't like, yeah, right. It wasn't like the Borg, right? No, no, yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, it was a totally different enemy from the Borg. And, um, and then let's just not forget everybody they, they cast as a Cardassian was always an imposing figure, very tall, sort of mm. the, kind of the gaunt looking face. And yes. the costume that he's wearing yes. is this sort of black, it comes to a point. It's like an upside down triangle, you know, very Were you know, there imposing. Any prominent female Cardassian guest spots in either DS9 or in TNG? Um... What? Oh, uh, yeah, Ducat's daughter is the one I can think Yeah, of. but she was half... Right, uh, she was half Jordan. Yeah, um... No. No, you mainly see the men. Uh, I, yeah, I guess I guess that's right. Not even in a, in a support capacity, right? Like, not even, like, I, you know, even on the, on the uh, crew... Well, there mostly... was the one where, um... They did, like, an undercover thing, right? But, um, let's see what the internet has to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, they do. They they do show up, mm-hmm. but no, there wasn't like um, unlike the other, unlike the other, uh, uh, like the Dura sisters, for example. Yeah, you know, right. with the Klingons and you know other other uh, you know Mugi on Ferengi, you know, <laughs> Ferenginar. <laughs> right. No, you didn't have you didn't have a really important. I mean, the daughter. She was the big Zial was the biggie, and she was an interesting character because she was. Um, Zial is a great example, by yeah. the way, of a character that was I thought perfectly fleshed out. Didn't see her yeah. too often. Didn't see her. Didn't not see her. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought she was a very. I thought she was an essential character to what made DS Nine such a great show. Yeah, because it wasn't about Zial per se. It was about her relationship with Garrick, yeah. Kira. And Goldicott. Yeah, and 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 I thought, and what she represented in sure. in this war, they represented. You know? She represented something different to each of those three. Yeah, you know, depending on and, and depending on who she was talking to, you know, and I just thought that was such an interesting, it's a, a brilliant piece of writing. Yeah, you know, it, it really was. Yeah, um, and 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 something that didn't come until later on in the series. You know, I don't, I forget what what mm. season, but like. Didn't show up until later. Had one episode, went away for a little while, then would come back, then would maybe get mentioned in the line of dialogue, but you didn't see her. Uh, so right. you know uh, they did it right. So uh, listen, we're, we're we're wrapping up here. Uh, so your just to recap, your bronze was um, oh it was oh wait hold on uh, now I'm already forgetting. Uh, let me pull it up here. It was uh, where'd you go? Uh, okay, Elizabeth Dennehy as lieutenant. Right, that's Brian Dennehy's daughter, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't lie about Brian Dennehy <laughs> on the show. So Shelby was your bronze. My bronze was uh, the Dauphin. Right. Uh, <laughs> whatever her name was. Um, what was the actress's name? Because you can Google her. You can call if you live in LA. You can you can tell yeah. her your woes. And then my uh, silver was uh, Gul Madrid, uh, which was your and and your silver was um, Susie Plaxon Kalar. Yeah. Your gold was Gul Madrid, and my gold was. Please. Wait, let's get a drum roll here. Let's at least get a a a, uh, a red alert. Okay. My <laughs> my favorite guy. I got to be honest. It's Berlinghoff Rasmussen, Matt Frewer's character from the episode A Matter of Time, which is the episode when they get uh, a visitor from the future comes to the Enterprise and Picard and everybody else on board thinks that he knows what's going on and he's there as a historian to watch an important right, day on the right, episode. Right, 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 right. When really he's bullshitting everybody. Oh, yes, that's <laughs> right. Yes, 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 yes. 
that third act twist <laughs> was my favorite. And I was, as a kid, a big fan of Max Headroom, mm. which uh, you're a little younger than I am. Do you know who Max Headroom is? I don't. Is? Do, do, you, do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to. Brian, can we show a picture of Max Headroom? Yes. Give me one Brian, second. do you know who Max Headroom is? Yes, I do. All right. Well, you're a bigger nerd than uh, <laughs> uh But you're going to know the face. Uh, You've seen that image before, right? I don't. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm 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 embarrassed. Uh, well, no, don't, don't be embarrassed. You I, uh, you. This is where you learn things. Is on yeah. No, tell me. Yeah, uh, you are. If you were around in the 1980s, and I was a little kid, mm-hmm. you're a little. I don't know how old you are, but you're I'm, a 90s. 29. You're 29. You're, yeah. a, you're a nice chunk younger than I am. <laughs> Not significantly that we can't talk to one another, but a little bit. So, um, Max Hedrum was. A ubiquitous character that started out at, in Britain. He was an American actor, Matt Frewer. Yeah. Uh, but it was a British show where it was on the British version of MTV, which wasn't called MTV. He was a video. It started off as a VJ, but he was a fake character. He was a make-believe computer simulation, and they made him look like that. Oh and gosh. then he became popular, so they, retch- they kind of retconned a science fiction show that had sort of a Brazil 1984 vibe to it mm-hmm. about his... Origin and it was a sci-fi show and like a it had like it was a low-budget Blade Runner look in like 86 87 or whatever And he was really really popular for a, a minute and a half and then he wasn't popular again, right? right. He also was the uh, Spokesperson for I want to say new coke Which shows you how because that's correct was like the you know the world's biggest flop yeah. in marketing so he was the new coke spokesperson and then he was also he would appear like on in videos a lot and like the, the band the art of noise would sample him yeah, right. so in like the year 1987 he was everywhere and then by the year 1988 came he was done you couldn't find him anywhere sure, sure. but matt frewer is a character actor he shows up in a lot of things he still works to this day he was in the bfg the spielberg movie from last year oh wow okay he shows up a lot so he was perfect because he had that kind of sarcastic mm-hmm. kind of flat midwestern kind of punk ass vibe and for most of the show, you think that he's this future genius, but really he's just a rogue. He's a thief. <laughs> and you didn't have too many of those yeah. characters on TNG. You had Harry Mudd in the original series, mm-hmm. and then you had Neelix in, the, in Voyager. But on TNG, you didn't have too much of that. And he has one of my favorite moments in all of, in all of Star Trek, which is when things are really hitting the fan. And uh, so what happens... Oh, so the, the real thing it's all about is whether... Uh, or not Picard is going to violate the Prime Directive because um, he's trying to avoid um, some sort of catastrophe, right? And if Picard knew what was going to happen, if he could understand the predestination of the thing, he could make the right choice. And he knows that that's unethical because it violates the Prime Directive and you shouldn't monkey with the timeline. But when his back's against the wall, Picard's like, I have to use this hand that's been dealt to me, you know? I have to, if I have the opportunity to ask somebody what to do, this observer from the future on this historic event, he's gonna do it. Now, at this point in the story, Picard really thinks that he's from the future, and he does. He says, I need to know. I I, I, I need to yeah, use right. every tool yeah, yeah, in sure. my toolbox, and yeah. you are a tool. And he doesn't give him the answer, and he gives him the pep talk about follow your, follow your instincts mm. and the prime directive. Really, he's just bullshitting him. So anyway, the moment is, I'll just read a little bit of dialogue here. Um, so when everything's hitting the fan, warp power has been restored, everybody's yelling at each other, LaForge and Warf and blah, blah, blah. And um, LaForge is on the view screen, excuse me, Captain, but I can be a lot more help down here, meaning in the engineering room. 
we're going to have to compensate for density variations right up to the last second. Data says, uh, Dr. Mosley's computers can accomplish the same task, but Jordy will be better able to anticipate unexpected variances. Mr. LaForge, you know better than anyone. There's no guarantee this will all work. If this fails, and he says, no guarantee it's going to fail, Captain. I, I, I love this dramatic reading. I've never done this on the show before. Yeah, right. I'd like your permission to remain here on the surface. Picard says, permission granted. And then Rasmussen, he raises his eyebrow and he goes, LaForge remained below. <laughs> and it was like he it was like he was narrating a documentary. Yeah, right, you know, right, it's just right. this great little moment, just such great writing. And uh who wrote this episode A Matter of Time? That one was written by Rick Berman. Of course it was written by Rick Berman. So there you go. He is my favorite one shot. He is a guy that I want to know more about. Right. I want to have comic books based on <laughs> Rasmussen and I want to see yeah. him show up again somehow in some new form. So that's ultimate, my ultimate three. confidence guy though. Yeah, he's terrific. He's ultimate confidence guy though. What a yeah. great what, what what a great hook he's got. I'm from the future cuz you wouldn't believe that here. No. If somebody showed up at, at your office at the New York Times and said I'm from the future, I'm just going to hang out. <laughs> You'd be like, security. Yeah, right. But on the Enterprise, if somebody shows up and says, I'm from the future, like, oh, yeah, sure. That happens every other week. <laughs> but you know, you know what? Uh, that's partially what makes Star Trek TNG, in particular, an incredible show, is that is that the crew is willing to believe each other yeah. on outlandish things. Yeah. Whereas I, if I went to my coworkers and I said, looked at the, uh, and I said, my God, I, uh, uh, I've got voices in my head and they're, you know, saying crazy things. You know, the immediate reaction from coworkers are like, well, we sh- oh, that sounds insane. <laughs> you need to go to a doctor. <laughs> but in Star Trek, what happens is, okay, well, let's help you, but I believe you. You know, there's never a, a disbelief. And, like, you look at um, the series finale, all good things. Yeah, yeah. Picard is saying objectively outlandish things to these to his crew members in three different timelines but they believe him and they're like okay all right fine let's go find data yeah okay let's go let's go take the ship to the neutral oh, okay fine and and that uh uh another example is a uh, wharf who is going to a batfleth tournament and i'm forgetting the episode and he's in a whole bunch of different timelines and oh yeah 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 and um, uh, parallels yeah. sure yeah and in, and finally he realizes what's going on and he's like guys I, I i something is wrong i'm phasing in and out of this reality and, and they're like, like oh, oh yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> that's chapter six we gotta right, get on that right <laughs> right and, <laughs> like and and that's i think what made tng such a strong show is that it's it's a show about people working together yeah you know and and that because that's not because you look at a lot of other ensemble shows it's about conflict between between you know members you, yeah, you, you yeah. know uh, ensembles and this is an example of where people are going to give you the benefit of the doubt well you know there's the, there's the great counter example there's the episode where Picard has been kidnapped and is sent somewhere for observation and they put a false Picard in charge and, oh okay yeah and he's not acting like himself he's going to um, 10 forward and be like here's to the finest crew in Starfleet he's doing all that <laughs> So Troy and 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 uh, LaForge and Riker are like, 
are you noticing something's up at the captain? <laughs> and like, we kind of, what, like, yeah, when, right, right. when do you say something? You know, because normally he's the guy that you would die for, but mm-hmm. you're pretty sure that's not him. You just have a gut instinct. Right. And they have to figure out when they're going to step in. So, um, right, 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 right. That was always a neat one because, uh, you know, that's like when, like you say, you have a coworker who you, you suddenly, you think maybe they've got a drinking problem, but you're not sure and you don't know mm. when to say something or should you say something and blah, right. blah, blah. So, uh, yeah, but that's that's what makes TNG great. So this is great. We've now established the top. We thought we had have six, but I'm glad we had one of our uh, of our top three was on both of our lists. Yes, yes. So this is great. Well, listen, Sopan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, for those uh, who aren't reading your work, it's in the, in the New York Times where you... Uh, you're, you're you're writing in the culture section and and you're also following political matters on Twitter, which is just your name, right? It's not yep. so Pandeb, S O P A N D E B. Awesome, and uh, that's a great way to follow you and interact with you. And you get a lot of fans. You probably get a lot of hate tweets, but you probably get mostly <laughs> uh, mostly people that are nice to you, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> well, we hope that more Star Trek people start following you if they aren't already. And uh, thanks again uh, for coming by, and we will see you next time. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.